0: Section twenty two of the Book of Ghosts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Ghosts by Sabine Baring Gould. Section twenty two. Little Joe Gander. Part one. There's no good in him, said his stepmother not a muscle.' With these words she thrust Little Joe forward by applying her knee to the small of his back, and thereby jerking him into the middle of the school before the master. "'There's no making nothing out of him. Whack him as you will!' Little Joe Lambole was a child of ten, dressed in second-hand, nay, third-hand garments that did not fit. His coat had been a soldier's scarlet uniform that had gone when discarded to a dealer, who had dealt it to a carter, and when the carter had worn it out it was reduced and adapted to the wear of the child. The nether garments had, in like manner, served a full-grown man till worn out. Then they had been cut down at the knees. Though shortened in leg, they maintained their former copiousness of seat, and served as an inexhaustible receptacle for dust. Often, as little Joe was licked, there issued from the dense mass of drapery clouds of dust, it was like beating a puffball. "'Only a seven-month child,' said Mrs. Lambole contemptuously, "'born without his nails on fingers and toes. They growed later. His wits have never come right, and a deal—a deal of larruping it will take them to make them grow. Use the rod. We won't grumble at you for doing so.' Little Joe Lambole, when he came into the world, had not been expected to live. He was a poor, small, miserable baby, that could not roar, but whimpered. He had been privately baptized, directly he was born, because at the first Mrs. Lambole said, The child is mine, though it be such a creature, and I wouldn't like it, according, to be buried like a dog. He was called Joseph. The scriptural Joseph had been sold as a bondman into Egypt. This little Joseph seemed to have been brought into the world to be a slave. In all propriety he ought to have died as a baby, and that happy consummation was almost desired, but he disappointed expectations and lived. His mother died soon after, and his father married again, and his father and stepmother loved him doubtless, but love is manifested in many ways, and the Lambeaux showed theirs in a rough way, by slaps and blows and kicks. The father was ashamed of him because he was a weakling, and the stepmother because he was ugly and was not her own child. He was a meagre little fellow, with a long neck and a white face and sunken cheeks, a pigeon breast and a big stomach. He walked with his head forward and his great pale blue eyes staring before him into the far distance, as if he were always looking out of the world. His walk was a waddle, and he tumbled over every obstacle because he never looked where he was going, always looked. To something beyond the horizon, because of his walk and his long neck and staring eyes and big stomach, the village children called him Gander Joe or Joe Gander, and his parents were not sorry for they were ashamed that such a creature should be known as a Lambole. The Lamboles were a sturdy, hearty people with cheeks like quarander apples and bones set firm and knit with iron sinews. They were a hard-working, practical people. Who fattened pigs and kept poultry at home Lambole was a road-maker in breaking stones one day a bit of one had struck his eye and blinded it after that he wore a black patch upon it he saw well enough out of the other he never missed seeing his own interests Lambole could have made a few pence with his son had his son been worth anything he could have sent him to scrape the road and bring the manure off it in a shovel to his garden but Joe never took heartily to scraping the dung up. In a word, the boy was good for nothing. He had hair like toe, and a little straw hat on his head, with the top torn, so that the hair forced its way out, and as he walked the top bobbed about like the lid of a boiling saucepan. When the whortleberries were ripe in June, Mrs. Lambole sent Joe out with other children to collect the berries in a tin can. She sold them for four pence a quart, and any child could earn eightpence a day in whortleberry time. One that was active might earn a shilling. But Joe would not remain with the other children. They teased him, imitated ganders and geese, and poked their necks out, and uttered sounds in imitation of the voices of these birds. Moreover, they stole the berries he had picked, and put them into their own cans. When Joe Gander left them and found himself alone in the woods, then he lay down among the brown heather and green fern, and looked up through the oak leaves at the sky and listened to the singing of the birds. O wondrous music of the woods, the hum of the summer air among the leaves, the drone of the bees about the flowers, the twittering and fluting and piping of the finches and blackbirds and thrushes, and the cool soft cooing of the wood-pigeons like the lowing of aerial oxen. Then the tapping of the green woodpecker, and a glimpse of its crimson head, like a carbuncle running up the tree-trunk, and the powdering down of old husks of fir-cones, or of the tender rind of the topmost shoot of a Scottish pine. For aloft a red squirrel was barking a beautiful tree out of wantonness and frolic. A rabbit would come forth from the bracken, and sit up in the sun, and clean its face with the forepaws and stroke its long ears. Then seeing the soiled red coat would skip up, little Joe lying very still, and screw its nose, and turn its eyes from side to side, and skip nearer again till it was quite close to Joe Gander. And then the boy laughed, and the rabbit was gone with a flash of white tail. Happy days. Days of listening to mysterious music, of looking into mysteries of sun and foliage, of spiritual intercourse with the great mother soul of nature. In the evenings, when Gander Joe came without his can or with his can empty, he would say to his stepmother, Oh, Steppy, it was so nice. Everything was singing. "'I'll make you sing in the chorus, too,' cried Mrs. Lambole, "'and laid a stick across his shoulders.' Experience had taught her the futility of dusting at a lower level. Then Joe cried and writhed and promised to be more diligent in picking whortle-berries in future. But when he went again into the wood, it was again the same. The spell of the wood-spirits was on him. He forgot about the berries at Fourpence a quart, and lay on his back, and listened. And the whole wood whispered and sang to him, and consoled him for his beating. And the wind played lullabies among the fir spines, and whistled in the grass, and the aspen clashed its myriad tiny cymbals together, producing an orchestra of sound that filled the soul of the dreaming boy with love and delight and unutterable yearning. It fared no better in autumn when the blackberry season set in. Joe went with his can to an old quarry where the brambles sent their runners over the masses of rubble thrown out from the pits, and warmed and ripened their fruit on the hot stones. It was a marvel to see how the blackberries grew in this deserted quarry, how large the fruit swelled, how thick they were, like mulberries. On the roadside of the quarry was a belt of pines, and the sun drew out of their bark scents of unsurpassed sweetness. About the blackberries hovered spotted white and yellow and black moths, beautiful as butterflies. Butterflies did not fail either. The Red Admiral was there, resting on the bark of the trees, asleep in the sun with wings expanded, or drifting about the clumps of yellow ragwort, doubtful whether to perch or not. Here, hidden behind the trees, among the leaves of overgrown rubble, was a one-story cottage of wood and clay, covered with thatch, in which lived Roger Gale, the postman. Roger Gale had ten miles to walk every morning delivering letters, and the same number of miles every evening, for which twenty miles he received the liberal pay of six shillings a week. He had to be at the post-office at half-past six in the morning to receive the letters, and at seven in the evening to deliver them. His work took him about six hours. The middle of the day he had to himself. Roger Gale was an old soldier, and enjoyed a pension. He occupied himself, when at home, as a shoemaker. But the walks took so much out of him, being an old man, that he had not the strength and energy to do much cobbling when at home. Therefore he idled a good deal, and he amused his idle hours with a violin. Now when Joe Gander came to the quarry before the return of the postman from his rounds, he picked blackberries. But no sooner had Roger Gale unlocked his door, taken down his fiddle, and drawn the bow across the strings, than Joe set down the can and listened. And when old Roger began to play an air from the daughter of the regiment, then Joe crept towards his cottage in little stages of wonderment and hunger to hear more, and hear better, much in the same way as now and again in the wood the inquisitive rabbits had approached his red jacket. Presently Joe was seated on the doorstep, with his ear against the wooden door, and the blackberries and the can, and stepmother's orders and father's stick, and his hard bed, and his meagre meals, even the whole world, had passed away, as a scroll that is rolled up and laid aside, AND HE LIVED ONLY IN THE WORLD OF MUSIC. THOUGH HIS GREAT EYES WERE WIDE, HE SAW NOTHING THROUGH THEM. THOUGH THE RAIN BEGAN TO FALL, AND THE NORTHEAST WIND BEGAN TO BLOW, HE FELT NOTHING. HE HAD BUT ONE FACULTY THAT WAS AWAKE, AND THAT WAS HEARING. ONE DAY ROGER CAME TO HIS DOOR, AND OPENED IT SUDDENLY, SO THAT THE CHILD, LEANING AGAINST IT, FELL ACROSS HIS THRESHOLD. WHOM HAVE WE HERE? What is this? What do you want?" asked the postman. Then Gander Joe stood up, craning his long neck, and staring out of his goggle eyes, with his rough flaxen hair standing up in a ruffle above his head, and his great stomach protruded, and said nothing. Sir Roger burst out laughing, but he did not kick him off the step. He gave him a bit of bread and a drop of cider, and presently drew from the boy the confession that he had been listening to the fiddle. This was flattering to the postman, and it was the initiation of a friendship between them. But when Joe came home with an empty can and said, "'Oh, Steppy, Master Roger Gale did fiddle so beautiful,' the woman said, "'Fiddle? I'll fiddle your back pretty smartly, you idle vagabond!' And she was a truthful woman who never fell short of her word. To break him of his bad habits, that is, of his dreaminess and uselessness, Mrs. Lambole took Joe to school. At school he had a bad time of it. He could not learn the letters, he was mentally incapable of doing a subtraction sum. He sat on a bench staring at the teacher, and was unable to answer an ordinary question what the lesson was about. The school children tormented him, the monitor scolded, and the master beat. Then little Joe Gander took to absenting himself from school. He was sent off every morning by his stepmother, but instead of going to the school, he went to the cottage in the quarry, and listened to the fiddle of Roger Gale. Little Joe got hold of an old box, and with a knife he cut holes in it, and he fashioned a bridge, and then a handle, and he strung horsehair over the latter, and made a bow, and drew very faint sounds from this improvised violin, that made the postman laugh, but which gave great pleasure to Joe. The sound that issued from this instrument was like the humming of flies, but he got distinct notes out of his strings, though the notes were faint. After he had played truant for some time his father heard what he had done, and he beat the boy till he was like a battered apple that had been flung from the tree by a storm upon a road for a while joe did not venture to the quarry except on saturdays and sundays he was forbidden by his father to go to church because the organ and the singing there drove him half crazed when a beautiful touching melody was played his eyes became clouded and the tears ran down his cheeks and when the organ played the hallelujah chorus or some grand and stirring march his eyes flashed and his little body quivered and he made such faces that the congregation were disturbed and the parson remonstrated with his mother. The child was clearly imbecile, and unfit to attend divine worship. Mr. Lambole got an idea into his head. He would bring up Joe to be a butcher, and he informed Joe that he was going to place him with a gentleman of that profession in town. Joe cried. He turned sick at the sight of blood, and the smell of raw meat was abhorrent to him, but Joe's likings were of no account with his father, and he took him to the town and placed him with a butcher there. He was invested in a blue smock, and was informed that his duties would consist in taking meat about to the customers. Joe was left. It was the first time he had been from home, and he cried himself to sleep the first night, and he cried all the next day, when sent around with meat on his shoulder. Now on his journey through the streets he had to pass the window of a toy shop, In the window were dolls and horses and little carts, for these Joe did not care, but there were also some little violins, some high-priced and some very low, and over these Joe lingered with loving, covetous eyes. There was one little fiddle to which his heart went out, that cost only three shillings and sixpence. Each day as he passed a shop he was drawn to it, and stood looking in and longed daily more ardently than on the previous day for this three-and-sixpenny violin. One day he was so lost in admiration, and on the schemes he framed as to how he might eventually become possessed of the instrument, that he was unconscious of some boy stealing the meat out of the sort of trough on his shoulder in which he carried it about. This was the climax of his misdeeds. He had been reprimanded for his blunders, delivering the wrong meat at the customer's doors for his dilatory ways in going on his errands, the butcher could endure him no more, and sent him home to his father, who thrashed him as his welcome. But he carried home with him the haunting recollections of that beautiful little red fiddle, with its fine black keys. The bow, he remembered, was strung with white horsehair. Joe had now a fixed ambition, something to live for. He would be perfectly happy if he could have that three shillings and sixpenny fiddle. But how were three shillings and sixpence to be earned? He confided his difficulty to postman Roger Gale, and Roger Gale said he would consider the matter. A couple of days after, the postman said to Joe, Gander, they want a lad to sweep the leaves in the drive at the great house the squire's coachman told me and i mentioned you you'll have to do it on saturday and be paid sixpence joe's face brightened he went home and told his stepmother oh for once you're going to be useful said mrs Lambole. very well you shall sweep the drive then fivepence will come to us and you shall have a penny every week to spend in sweet-stuff at the post-office Joe tried to reckon how long it would be before he could purchase the fiddle, but the calculation was beyond his powers, so he asked the postman, who assured him it would take him forty weeks, that is, about ten months. Little Joe was not cast down. What was time with such an end in view? Jacob served fourteen years for Rachel, and this was only forty weeks for a fiddle. Joe was diligent every Saturday sweeping the drive. He was ordered whenever a carriage entered to dive behind the rhododendrons and laurels and disappear. He was of a too ragged and idiotic appearance to show in a gentleman's grounds. Once or twice he encountered the squire and stood quaking, with his fingers spread out, his mouth and eyes open, and the broom at his feet. The squire spoke kindly to him, but Joe Gander was too frightened to reply. "'Poor fellow!' said the squire to the gardener. I suppose it is a charity to employ him, but I must say I should have preferred someone else with his wits about him. I will see to having him sent to an asylum for idiots, in which I have some interest. There's no knowing, said the squire, no knowing but that with wholesome food, cleanliness and kindness his feeble mind may be got to understand that two and two make four, which I learn he has not yet mastered." every saturday evening joe gander brought his sixpence home to his stepmother the woman was not so regular in allowing him his penny out your education costs such a lot of money she said steppy need i go to school any more he never could frame his mouth to call her mother of course you must you haven't passed your standard but i I don't think i ever shall then said mrs Lambole what masses of good food you do eat you're perfectly insatiable you cost us more than it would to keep a cow oh steppy i I won't eat so much if i may have my penny very well eating such a lot does no one good if you will be content with one slice of bread for breakfast instead of two and the same for supper you shall have your penny if you are so very hungry you can always get a swede or a mangold out of farmer eggins field "'Swedes and Mangolds are cooling to the blood and sit light on the stomach,' said Mrs. Lambour. So the compact was made, but it nearly killed Joe. His cheeks and chest fell in deeper and deeper, and his stomach protruded more than ever. His legs seemed hardly able to support him, and his great pale blue wandering eyes appeared ready to start out of his head like the horns of a snail. As for his voice, it was thin and toneless— like the notes on his improvised fiddle on which he played incessantly the child will always be a discredit to us said Lambole. he don't look like a human child he don't think and feel like a christian the shovelfuls of dung he might have brought to cover our garden if he had only given his heart to it i have heard of changelings said mrs Lambole, and with this creature on our hands i mainly believe the tale they do say that the pixies steal away the babies of Christian folk, and put their own bantlings in their stead. The only way to find out is to heat a poker red-hot and ram it down the throat of the child, and when you do that the door opens, and in comes the pixie mother, and runs off with her own child, and leaves your proper babe behind. That's what we ought to have done with Joe." "'I doubt, wife, the law would have upheld us,' said Lambeau, thrusting hot coals back on to the hearth with his foot. I don't suppose it would," said Mrs. Lambole, "and yet we call this a land of liberty. Law ain't made for the poor, but for the rich. It is wickedness," argued the father. "It is just the same with cults. All wickedness. You must drive it out with a stick." And now a great temptation fell on Little Gander Joe. The squire and his family were at home, and the daughter of the house, Miss Amory, was musical. Her mother played on the piano, and the young lady on the violin. The fashion for ladies to play on the instrument had come in, and Miss Amory had taken lessons from the best masters in town. She played vastly better than poor Roger Gale, and she played to an accompaniment. Sometimes whilst Joe was sweeping he heard the music. Then he stole nearer and nearer to the house, hiding behind rhododendron bushes, and listening with eyes and mouth and nostrils and ears. The music exercised on him an irresistible attraction. He forgot his obligation to work. He forgot the strict orders he had received not to approach the garden, front of the house. The music acted on him like a spell. Occasionally he was roused from his dream by the gardener who boxed his ears, knocked him over, and bade him get back to his sweeping. Once a servant came out from Miss Amory to tell the ragged little boy not to stand in front of the drawing-room window staring in. "'On another occasion he was found by Miss Amory "'crouched behind a rose-bush outside her boudoir, "'listening while she practised. "'No one supposed that the music draw him in. "'They thought him a fool, "'and that he had the inquisitiveness of the half-witted "'to peer in at windows and see the pretty sights within. "'He was reprimanded and threatened with dismissal. "'The gardener complained to the lad's father "'and advised a good hiding such as Joe would not forget.' these sort o' of chaps said the gardener has no senses like rational beings except only the feeling and you must teach em as you feed the polar bears with the end of a stick one day miss amory seeing how thin and hollow-eyed the child was and hearing him cough brought him out a cup of hot coffee and some bread he took it without a word only pulling off his torn straw hat and throwing it at his feet exposing the full shock of towel-like hair then he stared at her out of his great eyes, speechless. "'Joe?' she said. Poor little man! How old are you?" know, he answered. Can you read and write? No. Nor do sums? No. What can you do? Fiddle. Have you got a fiddle? Yes. I should like to see it and hear you play next day was sunday little joe forgot about the day and forgot that miss amory would probably be in church in the morning she had asked to see his fiddle so in the morning he took it and went down with it to the park the church was within the grounds and he had to pass it as he went by he heard the roll of the organ and the strains of the choir he stopped to hearken then went up the steps of the churchyard listening a desire came on him to catch the air on his improvised violin, and he put it to his shoulder and drew his bow across the slender chords. The sound was very faint, so faint as to be drowned by the greater volume of the organ and the choir. Nevertheless, he could hear the feeble tones close to his ear, and his heart danced at the pleasure of playing to an accompaniment, like Miss Amory. The choir, the congregation, were singing the Advent hymn to Luther's tune, Great God, what do I see and hear, the end of things created? Little Joe, playing his inaudible instrument, came creeping up the avenue, treading on the fallen yellow lime leaves, passing between the tombstones drawn on by the solemn, beautiful music presently he stood in the porch then he went on he was unconscious of everything but the music and the joy of playing with it he walked on softly into the church without even removing his ragged straw cap though the squire and the squire's wife and the rector and the reverend the mrs rector and the parish churchwarden and the rector's churchwarden and the overseer and the waywarden and all the farmers and their wives were present He had forgotten about his broken cap, in the delight that made the tears fill his eyes and trickle over his pale cheeks. Then, with a shock, the parson and the churchwarden saw the ragged urchin, coming up the nave, fiddling, with his hat on, regardless of the sacredness of the place, and above all the sacredness of the presence of the squire, J.P. and D.L., the rector coughed very loud and looked hard at his churchwarden, Farmer Eggins, who turned red as the sun in a November fog, and rose. At the same instant, the people's church warden rose, and both advanced upon Joe Gander from opposite sides of the church. At the moment that they touched him, the organ and the singing ceased, and it was to Joe a sudden wakening from a golden dream to a black and raw reality. He looked up with dazed face, first at one man, then at the other. Both their faces blazed with equal indignation. Both were equally speechless with wrath. They conducted him, each holding an arm, out of the porch and down the avenue. Joe heard indistinctly behind him the droning of the rector's voice continuing the prayers. He looked back over his shoulder and saw the faces of the schoolchildren straining after him, through the open door from their places near it. On reaching the steps, there was a flight of five leading to the road, the people's churchwarden uttered a loud and disgusted Ugh! Then, with his heavy hand, slapped the head of the child towards the parson's churchwarden, who with his still heavier hand boxed it back again. Then, the people's churchwarden gave him a blow which sent him staggering forward and this was supplemented by a kick from the parson's churchwarden, which sent Joe Gander spinning down the five steps at once, and cast him prostrate into the road, where he fell and crushed his extemporized violin. Then the churchwardens turned, blew their noses, and re-entered the church, where they sat out the rest of the service, grateful in their hearts that they had been enabled that day to show that their office was no sinecure, the churchwardens were unaware that in banging and kicking the little boy out of the churchyard and into the road, they had flung him so that he fell with his head upon the curbstone of the footpath, which stone was of slate and sharp. They did not find this out through the prayers, nor through the sermon, but when the whole congregation left the church, they were startled to find little Joe Gander insensible, with his head cut and a pool of blood on the footway. The squire was shocked, as were his wife and daughter, and the churchwardens were in consternation. Fortunately, the squire's stables were near the church, and there was a running fountain there, and said that water was procured, and the child revived. End of section 22 Little Joe Gander, part 1 Recorded by Robin Skelsey.